You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, church. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. My name is uh, Martin or Martin uh, Chaitis. My wife and I, we, uh, oh, I'm missing the clicker. Sorry, guys. There we go. <clears throat> My wife and I, thank you. We, uh, we have the privilege of serving uh, as a full-time uh, ministry couple for one of our Spanish ministries here in coastal L.A. Uh, we uh, get the privilege to serve uh, El Mensaje. Uh, amen? And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we uh, are just so grateful for is to be part of a region uh, that understands the need for Spanish ministry. Uh, we, uh, the United States, as I mentioned before, every time I come, I'm a self-appointed ambassador, so I kind of kind of give you a little update about Spanish ministry. And so the U.S. currently is the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world. Uh, every system of government, of law, uh, education, health has understood that. And so they provide all the materials necessary in all languages, especially in Spanish. Amen? Because they understand that. Uh, the entertainment industry has totally understood that. Because some people want to listen to the doyers in Spanish. Uh, you know, ESPN Deportes, they understand the need for people wanting to watch the news, sports, receive information in their language. How much more the church? And so we're so grateful to be part of a region that understands the need for Spanish ministry. Uh, in our ministry, we, we don't like the term Latin ministry. We feel that more associated with culture and, and race, uh, and that should never divide us. Uh, it's a language-based uh, ministry, Spanish ministry. Uh, amen? And so I want to just thank you for your support and your encouragement always uh, for these special ministries. Uh, I am one full-time minister devoted to Spanish ministry. I am one of ten in the entire country in our fellowship of churches. And five of us are in L.A. I was one of 11, but every time there's a major change, one of the first ministries to go is Spanish ministry. In some ways, that's good in the sense that that couple that was leading that ministry is needed to lead other ministries. That means whoever's leading these ministries is capable uh, of leading any type of ministry because ministry is ministry. Uh, amen? So... Thank you for your support. Uh, we did a sermon series in, our, in El Mensaje called Mas Allá this summer. It translates to, to beyond, and that's what we're going to be covering here today. Amen? It is good to be home for me. Uh, in a few weeks, I'll be turning 35 years old. I came, I uh, was converted at 18 years old uh, in Long Beach uh, in the campus ministry. Uh, I was asked to... <clears throat> I'm going to start crying. We were singing earlier, and I just was thinking of Kevin Maines. Um, but uh, I was asked to go from the Long Beach ministry to the Palos Verdes ministry, 
uh, and that's where I met the Maines family and many families that it became our family and adopted uh, me and then later Tina and I. And so uh, then we were part of the Peninsula Ministry, then we were part of South Bay Ministry, and now we're in El Mensaje, still in the coastal L.A. So it is in some ways uh, coming home, uh, being here with you guys. So I'm definitely grateful, grateful for that. God sent me to PV to really heal a lot that was in my heart, uh, especially using uh, Kevin Maines. Um, as a young Christian, I went to a young Christian's class, and Kevin Maines was doing the lesson, never seen Kevin Maines, never heard him preach, and I looked at my friend Mike and I said, I don't trust this guy. And so Mike looks at me and says, you're weird. And I said, that is weird. Why do I feel that? You see, there was a prejudice in my heart. There was a white preacher. I'm a Christian already. I didn't even know that was there. You ever find out stuff that was there? You're like, you didn't even know it was there. I've been a Christian for so many years, and whoa, God's revealing me here. And so I was like, that's wrong. Why, why, do, I, why do I have that? Why do, why do I trust Marco Palazzari? Because he looks a little Latin. <laughs> but what do I feel this mistrust with Kevin Maines? Something's wrong with me. Something wrong is there. That's not Christ-like. And so try to work that out. Uh, at the same time, I felt like I needed a spiritual father figure, so I prayed to God, God, give me spiritual father figures. Anybody, maybe some of the brothers here are praying that. No matter what age you are, you, you always be praying, God, give me some spiritual father figures. And so uh, that was a Thursday, and on Sunday I was asked to go to the teen ministry, and there I was in the living room of Kevin Maines. And only in the kingdom, Kevin Maines became my spiritual father. Uh, pulled me into his family, healed a lot of wounds of not having a father, uh, and also obviously uh, healed all those prejudice instincts that I had uh, for a Mexican kid who grew up in Hawaiian gardens. Uh, you misunderstand who the enemy is when you live in a situation like that. Uh, and so uh, God is good. It's good to be here. Uh, amen? All right. That was a long introduction that I did not plan for. John chapter 4. Verse 1, you guys there? You're all familiar with this passage, but our theme here is beyond. So my goal today is to help you see a little beyond this very familiar passage. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, and you may want to circle these two words, or three words, he had to. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called uh, Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Let's note that, and we'll come back to that later. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, because it takes 12 men to go buy food. Verse 9, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, she's now interested, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank it, drank from, from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will, thirst, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the, one, and the, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on, the mount, on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, not for the Jews, from. That's where Jesus comes, right? Verse 23, and we're almost there. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. There's a lot going on in our country. There's a lot going on in our hearts. There's a lot going on in our communities. And we can sort of generalize a little bit, but say, man, things, things are a little complicated, aren't they? Are you a little complicated sometimes? I don't know you, but I know me. I'm complicated. My wife will tell you I'm a little complicated. We're a little complicated sometimes. And then we live in a society and in a world that is a little complicated. There's not clear answers sometimes, socially speaking, right? It can get a little complicated. I love this passage because Jesus marches right into a very complicated situation and he purposely meets with a person who has a very complicated doctrine and she herself has a very complicated life especially when it comes to relationships and i just want to highlight that i love the fact that jesus loves complicated situations 
Amen? It's complicated. I want to go this way. Jesus is like, it's complicated over there. Let's go. Right? In fact, sometimes we, we, we have these spiritual friendships and we, we ask a question about how we're doing or how, how, how's marriage or how's parenting or how's finance. It's something, right? And we can kind of get a feel where, oh, there's something more there that seems like you're struggling, you're having a hard time. Maybe you want to tell me, maybe you don't want to tell me, maybe I'll wait for you to share, maybe not. But because it could be so complicated, we can be afraid to ask the second question. And maybe we'll ask the second question with the intent of, but I'm not asking the third question. Because then I have to care. Because then I have to help out. So let's keep it shallow. Let's keep it shallow because that's not going to be that complicated if we just keep it superficial. That's not Jesus' style. Amen? And if we can think back of the period of times where we grew spiritually the most in our faith, in our character, in our relationships, it was probably when someone was asking us several questions. And we had some kind of accountability. And it was a complicated situation. We, we prayed. We read the scriptures. Uh, you know, and we got input. And we were able to grow out of that situation. Amen? We need to learn to embrace complicated situations. Right? One of the most common conversations in our fellowship right now is these different challenges and tensions about, about race. And we see in this passage here, there's a complication there about race. So I'm saying let's embrace the complication situations, but let's understand that we have to have the right starting point. So there's three things that we can highlight that's complicated for this woman. There's racial tension in her upbringing, being a Samaritan with the Jews. We heard it. We saw it there, right? Why are you talking to me? That means she judged them based on Jesus' appearance. Jesus looked Jew. She's like, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to me? making a judgment from appearance, from race, making comparisons based on, on race. That's her starting point. But what was Jesus' starting point? Let's feel the friendship. I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? Uh, where are you? Where are you? And they start talking. And what does Jesus introduce as the starting point now? God. That's a great starting point. Because if our starting point is racial tensions, and then God, right? We could also argue that Jesus' actual starting point maybe wasn't necessarily God first, but it was her life situation. How are you doing? Yeah, I want to give you something. That's a great starting point. I have something to give you. Go call your husband. And we kind of, this is beyond, so we're going to see a little, little extra here from the scriptures, hopefully. In, that, in those days, it was custom that if you were a married woman and you're a married man uh, and you come across a married woman and you had 
something to say to that woman. You had to have her go call her husband so he can hear, be present as you have that conversation, being a married man with a married woman, because you didn't want people to misunderstand your intentions. Especially when you had a gift to give. You wanted the husband to be present so that there was no impure intentions, right? And so that everyone understood this is strictly about this gift to encourage you. And so Jesus is keeping this gentleman customs here and saying, hey, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Then Jesus says, okay, here, we're going to start becoming great friends here. And we become great friends when you're honest. Now that's, now you're being truthful there. I like you now. Your life's a mess, but I like you because you're being honest. When we said about with teens, one of the main things we want to highlight at first is honesty. Once a teen is deceitful, they're in a path of destruction. But if we can encourage them to say, hey, have a conviction of being honest. Honest is spiritual. Even if you're doing all kinds of stuff and feeling all kinds of stuff, if you're honest, that's a great spiritual starting point that's going to get you to understand And then your feelings will change. But if you refuse to be honest, you're heading to a very complicated situation. Amen? So teens, the decisions you make now, they will bear fruit in the next 10 years. There's consequences to that. Embrace being real, being genuine, being honest. The very things you respect from other people. Be that yourselves. And so... Jesus says, you're being honest. Okay, now we're going to get close here. We're going to be great friends. And he starts asking more questions. Amen? And I think we want to, we want to embrace these tensions going around in people's personal lives, in people's faith, and the racial tension that's going on, or the racial tension conversation, at least, that is going around. I think as a community of church, we've got to understand where the starting point needs to be wanting the best for people all people wanting to give this gift not your own gift not your inside not your solution but the gift of god the gift that keeps on giving and embracing that perhaps there's a personal need to this person and we see this be the pattern that jesus has are you with me right here so let's get back to us how are you like the woman? How's the racial tension battles in you? I shared mine. How's the doctrinal matters in you? Are you in line with Jesus? Or you have Samaritan Christian views like this woman? She thought she was solid. You guys are wrong. <laughs> we got the mountain. Quoting Jacob, even his livestock drank from the well. That's how awesome we are. Even the donkeys were, you know, blessed. And we're way better than you. Oh, you're deep, ha! Huh? You're deep, but I'm waiting for the Messiah. He's going to tell me. It's amazing how, despite how complicated this person's life was, how quick she was to dress herself up as a religious, knowledgeable, self-righteous person. And Jesus is just like, I'm still thirsty, but let's keep talking. How's that water coming along? But no, he's really trying to get to 
to her heart. So what are the three complications there in your life, your own personal life? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a specific habit you're battling with or specific sin that keeps just taking away your joy and your confidence. Maybe you're just discouraged by other people's decisions and how they affect you. And so is it race? Is it doctrine? Is it personal life? I'd say we got them all (laughs) a little bit. Amen? And doctrine, maybe, if you're set on the sound doctrine of the Scriptures, and it may not just be what the Bible says about salvation matters, but it would be more, how do I apply this Scripture that makes me very uncomfortable? I don't want to do that. (laughs) And so we all have different tensions going up, but we got to understand that we have to have the key starting point, and the key starting point is... Jesus. Amen? So let's go back to verse 4. And let's look beyond here. Verse 4 says, Now he had to. This, these three words translate to one word, day, D-E-I, which means must. He must go to Samaria. It implies that there's a, there's a spiritual obligation to go there. And obviously we understand the tension, right? Uh, basically we see right here Israel uh, and Judah are one kingdom, but they split off. They had a bad divorce right there. And they split off into ten tribes and then two tribes down here. So here's Jerusalem. Here's Samaria, right? And Jesus decides to just go straight up because he's on his way up here. Most people, they say, would go around, Right? Or they take PCH by the ocean right here, go this way, uh, or it would be MCH, uh, and they take it that way. But Jesus had to go there, and you know we understood Jesus wasn't afraid of conflict. He's trying to heal. He's going straight there. But I think there's a little bit more here. There's a little bit more. There's some beyond this, and I want to share that with you today. Amen. So a little bit of history here. When these two kingdoms. Uh, David is the king, the king of these kingdoms, and then his son Solomon. Solomon begins to drift away from God. Bad starting point, right? He's leaving the key starting point. Is Jesus? Is God? He's leaving the key starting point, and things become very, very complicated. And so God says, "We're going to have to take the kingdom away from you." Anyway, things kind of progress to where now there is two kingdoms, and they are totally. Divided. So how did that come about? Jeroboam thought to himself, this is the king of the Israel, the northern kingdom. He thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will gain their, they will gain again, sorry, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord. Uh, Rehoboam, king of Judah, they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. So what he's saying is, hey, I'm afraid because it's in the scriptures that every uh, Jew here has to travel to Jerusalem three times a year. But the temple is in Jerusalem and it's in the southern kingdom. So if my people start going over there, I'm going to lose them. Right? And then they're going to kill me. 
Because when you just start thinking about your kingdom and yourself, you make some crazy decisions. And you begin to betray your conscience and the Holy Spirit. And that's what this man did. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel. Whoa. Who brought you up out of Egypt. He basically creates new gods for them. And then he creates a new temple for them. And then he institutes spiritual priests for those gods. Just to keep his kingdom and to keep his people there so they would not go and visit other people and find out, hey, they're not too bad. And the Bible does say we got to worship here. We should probably be unified here. He's like, no, 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 no. It's all for you right here. I'll give it to you. Sadly enough, the people are like, okay, cool. That saves me a trip. Then it says that Jeroboam kept building shrines in high places and appointed priests for all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month when you're not supposed to have a festival. So he basically designed his whole religion structure of worship just to keep his kingdom, right? Now, Judah wasn't doing that great spiritually. Judah was also drifting from God. And so God has to make some decisions there. And he basically disciplines his people. And the Assyrians come to the northern kingdom. And they take over Israel, the northern kingdom. And the way that the Assyrians conquered people is they would just take all the educated people. And then they would disperse them in other kingdoms that they had conquered because they didn't want those educated people there. Does that make sense? Then they would take other educated people from these other kingdoms and then they would place them there with all the people, the poor people there in that in, in Israel, right? So if you read Second Corinthians 17, I believe, or 1 Corinthians 17, I think it's 2 Corinthians 17, the Assyrians basically take five different types of people with five different religions, and place them in Jerusalem. And then they already had a bad misinterpretation of God. Now they have five more different gods, and then they start all intermarrying and all this other stuff, and basically it just becomes Los Angeles, or just this crazy world of all kinds of religions. You with me right here? How many husbands did the wives had? How many other gods were brought and given to Israel? You see, this woman represents Israel. The adulterous Israel that betrayed the husband, God. And this is a real woman. This is a real conversation. But there's something beyond this conversation. But the Bible says Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? Is he going there to condemn uh-uh. He's going there to reconcile his marriage with Israel. Well, why? This woman says she believes in God. Yeah, the wrong God, the wrong way, with the right heart. Still wrong. And so Hosea 8, verse 8 says, Israel is swallowed up. Now she's among the nations like something no one wants. What is he saying? 
my people Israel are basically Gentiles now. They've totally left me. And so let's go to Jeremiah chapter 3. Go to Jeremiah chapter 3 with me, please, so we can complete this passage, understand what's happening here beyond. Jeremiah chapter 3. Perhaps you weren't ready to learn stuff, but you are here now. Verse 6. During the the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up to every high hill under the spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me. But she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave uh, faithless Israel her certificate of what? Divorce. And she sent, and I sent her, our faithful sister Judah, sorry, the light's kind of crazy here, so I'm trying to find out here where I am. Her unfaithful sister Judah uh, had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Later on, it goes on to say how God did not divorce Judah for the sake of his promises. Because out of Judah is coming who? Jesus. So out of faithfulness to his covenant, he says, I'm going to keep you. And so the way that they were conquered, because they also drifted from God, is they were actually deported, but no one was sent back. They were actually deported, you know, we know the story from Daniel, from Babylon, and then they, at some point, God opens the door and they return back to rebuild the temple. Does that make sense? They're trying to rebuild the temple, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, Ezra, right? And then there's neighbors that don't want them to build the temple. You know who they are? Samaritans. Racial tension going on for decades. Hate. Cycle of hate for decades. Jesus is this complicated situation. I have to go there because it's complicated, and I'm Jesus. And so as he's facing this woman, he he says, you have had five husbands, and the one you're with right now is not even your husband. In some way representing where Israel was at. And yet, what is Jesus doing? I want to give you a gift. So despite how complicated our country is, despite how complicated Uh, Our faith can be, despite how complicated our personal life can be, we got to understand that Jesus loves those things, and he marches right into those things. Amen? So if you're a complicated person, can you just accept that Jesus embraces that? Now, don't do it on purpose. But it happens. And he embraces that. You are good enough for God. This woman is not good enough for God, but she's good enough for God. She doesn't, doesn't deserve any of this, but, but she needs it, and God wants to give her a gift. You don't need to give me anything. I just want to give you this gift that's going to bless you. And she was really interested in that because she said, give me that so I don't have to come back at this hour. What hour is that? Noon. In those days, or if you grew up in the country, when do you go get water? At noon? In la mañana? Al rio? In the morning? 
But why is she going to get water at noon? Because when you're in a bunch of sin, you don't want to be around people. She's ashamed. There's so much guilt that she's now alone. She goes to the grocery store when people are not there. She doesn't go to coffee shops where Christians are there. You know what I'm saying? They're going to get deep. I'm not going to go to that meeting. I'm going to skip that one. Because I'm complicated and you don't even know. But I'm right and you're wrong. Like, what? We can become like this woman where we're just isolating ourselves from people. Confessing sin to Facebook. Like, that's going to help us out. And so Jesus meets her at the loneliest time, at the lonely hour, and just has that conversation with her, wanting to give you a gift. What does that say to you about Jesus? What does that say of how Jesus feels about your complications? I don't know about you, but it really encourages me. Amen? In chapter 3, we'll continue there, verse 11. The Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Like, that's messed up, right? When you have to compare faithless with unfaithful. Which one's the best situation right here? That's what God is working with. Go proclaim this message towards the north, right? Jesus had to. This is a prophecy. Jesus is going to fulfill and fulfills prophecy by going to Samaria, having this conversation with this woman, this woman running into town, the people that she's been afraid for to for all her life, basically. Now she's telling them, hey guys, I met this guy. He told me everything I've done. They're like looking at each other like, everything? Yeah! No more shame, no more guilt. Maybe he's the Messiah. She's still insecure, wants male approval. Is, is he the Messiah or not? Tell me, what should I believe? He already told you he is. And they believe the woman, and then they, the whole, then Samaria, right? All those people, if you, we don't have time to read it, but if you read, keep reading, they all come towards Jesus. It's the desert, it's hot, it's dusty. The 12 are like, what's going on? Are we now going to destroy Samaria? That's what they said earlier. And then they see all these people coming. The people that they grew up hating are now listening to their leader. And they, the Samaritans, at the end of that conversation, it was they that proclaimed, you are the Savior of the world! Jesus was coming from where? From Jerusalem, from Judea, rejected. Because faithless has something that unfaithful doesn't. And so later on when Jesus says, I don't need to eat, I have more food, you don't even know what God is doing, now based on these scriptures we understand kind of what Jesus was referencing. Amen? I don't know about you, I love that about Jesus. One of my yearly goals is to pray that Jesus, that I'm just amazed by Jesus. God, give me something new where I can be amazed by Jesus. I want to always be amazed by Jesus. This was my gift this year. And I want to share it there with you. And you probably already know and can preach it better. And so let's read this prophecy. Verse 12. 
Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord, even though you're faithless. I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have a responsibility. What you said is quite true. You were honest. Don't be hiding sin from me. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you. And so Jesus is in a very romantic situation, spiritually speaking, with the Samaritan woman. You don't have a husband right now, but I'm the Messiah. I want to marry you, Israel. You get it, right? Isn't that awesome? And so Jesus had to, because he sees a very divided, complicated situation, And he goes, and his starting point is a gift, is love, is honesty, and is scriptures. And then once he sees that there's an opening, he stays there. And he stays there for two days. It's so complicated, Jesus himself had to stay there for two days. You're not going to find that in scripture. He stayed all night. Okay. He stayed for a day. Okay. Till evening came. Okay. Samaria is like... Man, it's been day one. You, I, need, I need to stay another day. We're about to do everything again. <laughs> You're not getting it. It was so complicated. It took two days for Jesus. Amen? If you're, a complicated, you're in a complicated situation, be patient. God's faithful. It's going to take some time. We don't like to hear, trust the process. But there's a process. As long as you acknowledge your guilt in the racial tension, what's your guilt? Faithfulness to God, what's your guilt? Your own personal life, what's your guilt? What's your responsibility in that? And let Jesus reshape, restore, because he's faithful even when we're faithless. And so in Hosea chapter 1, we're almost there. We'll take communion. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people! They will be called children of the living God. A reference to Second Peter. The people of Judah, or Second Peter references this, the people of Judah and the people of Israel will come what? Together. They will appoint what? One leader. Who is that? Because we can complain about our leaders right here. Not our local leaders, even though they're not in town, so this might be a good opportunity. Just kidding. I think I'm being recorded. Just kidding. But I do notice you only invite me when you guys are out of town. Which I'm grateful for. And so we can look at the scripture and say, well, this is gonna be, there's going to be world peace. But it's talking about a spiritual unity. Amen? 
a spiritual unity that we later see at Pentecost in Acts 2. And then we see the church being planted in Samaria and the disciples from Samaria being encouraged and, and them experiencing these scriptures in the church. And we get to experience these scriptures in the church. Amen? Where Kevin Maines becomes my spiritual father figure. After a few years before saying, I don't trust that guy. Why? I don't know. Oh, I'm guilty of being prejudiced. I didn't even know that. Only with with God. So we close out. Two more thoughts. Sorry. Looking at my slides. I keep saying I'm going to close out. We've got two more thoughts. So they're by the well, right? And so the Messiah, the faithful husband, is coming to restore his marriage with Israel, who gave the certificate of divorce decades before. Now he's coming to save them, to keep his covenant, to be faithful. And it's something cool happens. Uh, and so if you're single, you also want to pay attention to this. Cool things happen by a well. In Genesis chapter 4, uh, they find Isaac a wife by the well. In Genesis 29, Jacob meets his wife by the well. In Exodus, Moses meets his wife by the well. So next time you want to go on a double date and someone says, where do you want to go? By the well. Let's do that. And so Samaria, I'm going I'm I'm to stay on that point. The Samaritan woman is single, but she judges Jesus, who wants to be spiritual husband, by his appearance. Sometimes as singles, we could just judge people based on their appearance, height, right? And everyone that's married was like, don't do that. Because two years later, that kind of doesn't matter. You know what matters? Character. So the Samaritan woman didn't see his character, saw his appearance. So it's good insight. Singles, look for character. Not so much appearance. Amen? But we see this romance happening, spiritual romance by Jesus restoring his wife, Israel. That's encouraging. Amen? Let's go ahead and take communion. In 1 Peter, this letter is written... Oh, I don't know what I did. Uh, in 1 Peter... Can we get that scripture back on there? Uh, and this letter is written, if you read verse 1 of chapter 1, it tells you who it was written to. It mentions all these cities that were actually all the places where, remember, uh, the Assyrians conquered uh, Israel, right? And they took them and then they split them out, right? You with me? In verse 1, chapter 1 there, it mentions all the cities where the people were spread at decades ago where there's now churches there faithful disciples and so Peter's writing them this scripture and he says this but you are a chosen people 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but you admitted your guilt, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're also those people. We are the Samaritan woman. We're complicated. And we live in a world that's complicated. But we have a Savior that embraces that and calls himself to go and save us. Amen? As we pray, remember that you are very special to God. Despite how complicated your situation may be, he wants to be faithful and will be faithful to you no matter what. Amen? And remember, as we deal with all these different tensions, that you make sure you have the right starting point, like Jesus. Amen? And as we have different conversations about what's going on in the world, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you, you bring Jesus into that conversation. Because if you don't, you're leaving that person at just the race tension. You've got to bring Jesus into that conversation just like Jesus, writing the scriptures into that conversation. So let's pray and remember that though we are complicated because of Jesus, we are his special possession. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to see beyond what what we see, whether it's in our country, whether it's in the scriptures, whether it is in ourselves. Thank you that through Jesus, through your faithfulness, through your power, through your grace, we're able to see beyond. Father, at the moment, I remember my baptism. And I remember how many faithful men and women you have sent my way during times where things were just very complicated. And you used them. To help me. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. We remember Jesus, his death, his burial, and we celebrate his resurrection, God. We celebrate because we know that we weren't, but now we are. We didn't have, and now we have. And help us to keep marching forward into complicated situations with the right starting point, you. We love you. We take the bread and the juice in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.